Psalm 94 and verse 16. Psalm 94 and verse 16. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? The psalmist is in a situation of personal affliction. And he laments the fact that so few people are willing to come to his aid. He is writing in the context of godlessness reigning supreme in the land. And also the context of the righteous being persecuted. So the psalm is set in the period of Israel's history when there is an unjust, God-defying government at the helm. Indeed, this psalm represents the plight of God's true people in every age as they live in the midst of a Christ-rejecting world. The psalmist here is deeply grieved. It may well be David who, who is the author of this psalm. Not just grieved at his own difficulties, but he is grieved over the condition of his nation. And we likewise should be burdened for our nation. God has set us in nations. Earlier on in this psalm, we read in verse 3, Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? So the psalm is dealing with a national situation whereby many no longer fear God or have any concept that a sovereign God is watching over all their deeds. Rejection of God's law is commonplace. And so men sin with a sense of great security. Conversely, those who dare do fear God feel very isolated. So the psalmist is describing a situation not dissimilar to Britain in our own time. 
And the psalmist continues in verse 16. Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? He grieves that so few people are willing to make a stand against wickedness. Where are they? The general departure from the true faith is so extensive in the nation that the psalmist wonders if anyone is going to support him in his contending for righteousness. This sense of isolation is what the Apostle Paul also experienced when he was contending for the faith and being persecuted. Now, towards the end of his life, Paul was arrested and had to appear before the imperial judges in Rome. And this is how he describes his experience in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 16. 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, he says, at my first answer, he's talking about his first court appearance. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me, intimidated by the powers that be. Intimidated by mainstream opinion, they all left him. I pray God, says Paul, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. So Paul could find no Christian in Rome willing to testify in support of him when he was first brought before the judges. In the face of official opposition, many professing Christians shrank into the background. If we today truly love our nation, we must be prepared to stand up against the workers of iniquity in Christ's name. And that means going against the grain of contemporary fashionable thinking, which, generally speaking, has overtaken even the churches. The psalmist says in verse 17 here, Unless the Lord had been, <coughs> been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. Silence here means the silence of the grave. The word almost can also be rendered quickly. The psalmist's persecutors 
would have quickly brought him to his death had not the Lord intervened to save him. This is the kind of nation the psalmist is living in. One where devotion to the one true Trinitarian God puts a man at variance with the whole society around him. And in our secularised nation today, where we have been taught that a Christian culture is no better than any other culture, God's true people must cry out to the Lord to be their defence. And Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers, notice that word, seducers, So the enemies of the Christian faith will seduce by clever sounding arguments. Evil men and and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now that is the reality for Christians in every generation. As we live, as it were, in exile, We live in Babylon. We live in spiritual Egypt. We live in a fallen world. Verse 18. When I said my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. This was (coughs) David's experience. When assailed, and brought low by his persecutors. The Lord preserved him. Even though Saul tried to take his life, God had decreed that David would be the next king. And nothing that Saul could do could prevent that. As we today endeavour to witness to an increasingly anti-Christian nation, we need to encourage ourselves, as the psalmist does here. Thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. And let us remind ourselves again of the words of Paul in Romans 8 and verse 35 and following. Romans 8:35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Whatever the level of the world's opposition, the Lord's mercy, the Lord's loving kindness 
will uphold all true believers in Christ. We will never be left bereft. And so the psalmist declares in verse 19 here, (coughs) In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. In his persecutions, the psalmist is racked with anxious thoughts. There were few friends to bring him comfort. In our own day, all the forces of secular liberalism are arrayed against biblical Christianity. The scriptures are despised in modern Britain. And the Lord's true people are greatly grieved. But in the midst of this Satan-induced spiritual darkness, the Lord always sustains us. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, Because he trusteth in thee. When believers suffer persecution, they must reflect upon the promises of God's word. Holiness of life and faithfulness in the midst of opposition will afford the inward peace which the Holy Spirit gives. God is with the people who honour him. And that applies not only to individuals, but also to nations. God is either with a nation or against a nation. What is his attitude to modern Britain? Does our nation honour God by its laws? The psalmist asks this question in verse 20. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? Now, in a monarchy, the royal throne is the pinnacle of the justice system. It's the case in our land. But here, the psalmist refers to the government of the day as a throne of iniquity. The powers that be are using statute law to frame mischief. And the Hebrew word rendered mischief there also has the sense of trouble and misery. The laws of the land are now bringing trouble to the innocent and to God's people. And this is not how it should be. 
Rulers and governments are under an obligation to uphold God's laws. And so the Christian's attitude should not be, well, I just follow whatever the government says. The Christian's attitude must be, is what the government's saying according to the law of God? Now, in Romans 13, Paul describes the situation as it should be with the godly magistrate legislating in accordance with God's laws. Romans 13, verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee, for good. You see, that that is what the government should be. A minister to us for our good. And so if someone steals our property from our homes, then the authorities treat that as a crime and do something about it. That, that, that's a good system. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he, the magistrate, beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God. A revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so the word of God teaches us that crime must be punished. It cannot be overlooked. And God has ordained that rulers and governments should be ministers of his justice. This is the ideal. Rulers, however, are answerable to God for all that they do. Not to an electorate or not to some global organisation. They're answerable to God. No government has the right to ignore the laws of God. The idea that a nation's laws should merely reflect the will of a democratic majority with no reference to what God has decreed is a concept utterly alien to the Bible. It was democracy, a democratic vote, which voted a certain person into power in Germany in the 1930s. Now, it is always preferable, of course, that rulers govern by consent. But popular consent can never be a justification for defying God's standards of righteousness. Now, democracy is quite a good system, but it in no way guarantees that a country's laws will be righteous laws. We must not idolise 
democracy because the majority often gets it wrong. Democracy in modern Britain, for example, has produced legislation which deliberately defies, ignores and rubbishes the fourth commandment. Now, as Christians, how should we react? Well, it's the way society is going. We've we've just got to go with the flow. The supermarkets and high streets should not be open on the day of resurrection. And we should say so. Democracy has even produced a law which encourages the breaking of the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. In what should be the safest place on earth, namely the human womb, our society endorses the killing of real heart-beating human life before it ever sees the light of day. Democracy has produced that. Name a leading politician who wants a career, who publicly stands out against abortion. Now, this is the kind of situation the psalmist is having to deal with here. A national turning away from God. And so he asks this question in verse 20. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee? Are these governments in communion with God? And the answer is, of course, they are not. God cannot bestow his blessing upon a nation which repudiates the authority of his word. Now, it also stands to reason that the converse is true. Namely, that a throne which upholds God's word will experience God's blessing. Now, we often refer to this, but we must never forget it. During the Queen's coronation service in 1953, she was handed a Bible. To the accompaniment of these words, To keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. And ever since 1953, those solemn words have been ignored. And the rot really set in in the 1960s. When a Home Secretary said that a permissive society 
condoning sexual immorality is a civilised society. Now, we must be thankful to God that although it has been ignored, we still have that godly constitution in place. To have the head of state using such language is a blessing indeed. But of course, it's only a real blessing if the words are not ignored. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? And so here we are being taught that it is possible for whole nations to be either in fellowship with God or out of fellowship with God. Now this is a concept totally lost upon our present society. A nation can either be in fellowship with God or not. Let us consider the expression in verse 20, framing mischief by a law. There is no clearer example of what is meant by that phrase than the government's redefinition of the creation ordinance of marriage that is framing mischief by a law it is an attack upon the very way god has made us and it continues whereby the powers that be are attacking the very concept of gender gender is not Fluid. There are only two genders as God made us, and the church should be saying so. Governments need putting in their place. They are not higher than God. The state is not our saviour. And it's not the job of the state to interfere with our personal, private, medical choices. That's not their role. Hands off. We're answerable to God, not to you. Now, Judah's leaders had been ignoring God's law so much that they had even lost the official temple copy of the scriptures. They'd lost it. It had got mixed up with all the rubbish. In God's providence, however, the scrolls were rediscovered. And when they were found, a scribe read out from them in the king's presence. Now, King Josiah, as he heard the word of God being read out, was reminded what the Lord actually required of the nation and of him as the nation's leader. And he rent his clothes in distress because he saw how much the nation had been ignoring the word of God. 
2 Kings 22, verse 13. 2 Kings 22, verse 13. Great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. (coughs) So, Josiah realised that his own government must seek God's mercy for having ruled without reference to God's word, for having framed mischief by a law, for having used the laws of the land to promote sin. We live in a land where school children are encouraged to embrace sin. Stonewall receives taxpayers' money to encourage children into sinful lifestyles. Homosexuality is sin, full stop. It does not mean that we hate anyone because we assert that biblical truth. Verse 21. They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. The lawmakers are actually attacking and invading the righteous. Now, in in the many countries around the world where Christians are currently being persecuted, the authorities use the law of the land to do it. Building regulations can be used to prevent Christians erecting churches. They use the law. Or else they introduce a law saying that all churches must be registered as they have done in China. China has so much money, it's got so much influence in the West, but they're persecuting Christians. Throughout history, Satan has always been instigating a deep-seated hostility to God's true people. And he frequently uses rulers and governments to fulfil his aims. And in the days of the Apostle John, Satan used the Roman Empire to persecute the Christians. Now, we read earlier from Revelation 2 and verse 10, (coughs) the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to the church at Smyrna. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. So there our Lord tells us that the devil is behind the imprisonment of Christians by 
persecuting authorities. The devil shall cast some of you into prison. So we need to understand that the powers that be may well be the instruments of Satan. Now the Lord encourages afflicted believers by telling them that their persecution will only last for 10 days, which in the prophetic language of Revelation means a fixed, limited period. The suffering, in other words, will not be permanent because Christ will come as judge to vindicate his people. And so the psalmist says in verse 22 here, But the Lord is my defence, and my God is the rock of my refuge. David knows that whatever the world might throw at him, nothing can happen to him outside of the providence of God. The Lord Jesus Christ has declared, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The prosperity and seeming triumph of this Christ-rejecting world will be short-lived, because the judge is coming. But meanwhile, we have to confront the world. We have to confront the situation whereby a 72-year-old preacher is arrested for saying that a family needs a father and a mother and that two women cannot reproduce and two men cannot reproduce. Arrested in Christian Britain for preaching from Genesis chapter 1. What have we come to? Verse 23. And he shall bring upon them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. There is coming a day of holy retribution. God shall requite the persecutors of his people. But in the meanwhile, we must remain Faithful. So we are being reminded that governments and nations, as well as individuals, are answerable to the judge of all the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we must tell our nation today. Our MPs have no right whatsoever to legislate against the word of God no matter how much popular support they have to do so. We are observing in our nation today the systematic dismantling of our Christian heritage and identity. A multicultural melting pot is deemed to be far better than a Christian civilization. And even churches go along with it. We must not follow the satanic lies of cultural Marxism. 
It is righteousness before God which alone can exalt a nation. We need to reflect upon that question asked in verse 20. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee? The answer is no. A government which ignores God and his laws is the enemy of God. And so if a nation turns its back upon the Christian gospel and the laws of God, then the throne of that nation becomes a throne of (coughs) iniquity. And God cannot bless such a nation. And remember, a nation's economic, political and social stability are all in the hands of the one true Trinitarian God. The only hope, therefore, for our nation is the preaching of the gospel and many turning in repentance and faith to Christ and then telling our governments, you must not legislate against God's word. And the Lord is looking for those who are willing to stand up for biblical truth. Who is going to do it? If we do not do it, no one else will. Verse 16. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? That means we must challenge specific sin when society promotes it. This psalm is showing us that godlessness, no matter how fashionable and politically correct, will never succeed in the end. Because as verse 23 states, the Lord shall bring upon them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. So we do have to warn people about the severity of God's judgment upon them both as individuals and upon the nation if there is no repentance. And so our nation today should be taking note of all that is being taught in this psalm. And we, for our part, as those who love Christ and his word, must be the ones who are willing to rise up against the evildoers. God is asking, Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? May the Lord give us the grace so to do. Amen.